Welcome to a special 15-year anniversary episode of Stories from the NNI. I'm Lisa Friedersdorf, Director of the National Nanotechnology Coordination Office. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Paul Weiss, University of California Presidential Chair and Distinguished Professor of Chemistry and Biochemistry, Bioengineering, and of Material Science and Engineering at UCLA. Paul is also the founder and editor-in-chief of ACS Nano. His research focuses on understanding and controlling materials at the atomic scale by exploring, probing, and manipulating interactions and dynamics at surfaces and interfaces. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. To get things started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you first got involved in nanotechnology? Sure. I, once upon a time, was at Bell Laboratories, and there I learned about semiconductor and surface physics and figured out a very sensitive way to measure reactions on surfaces and how much of an atom or molecule uh, was on a surface, but I was not able to measure where it was or what it was chemically. And so I moved out to IBM Almaden and worked with Don Eigler. Uh, he had been at Bell Labs before me. I followed him out there and we put together a low temperature scanning tunneling microscope that let us measure uh, not just where the atoms and molecules were, but we figured out how to move them on the surface the last four days of my uh, one-year postdoc uh, there. So it was before uh, we learned how to spell. I just wanted to find out what was underneath the atoms that I was measuring. Uh, it was many years until we were able to measure the spectra and determine what the molecules were, but that had been the goal for the other 361 days that I spent there and for the first several years of my academic career uh, when I first moved to Penn State. Uh, so I spent 20 years at Penn State in uh, chemistry and then physics and material science and neuroscience there, and then 10 years ago moved out to UCLA, where I was director of the California Nanosystems Institute for the first few years that I was here, and then now am a regular faculty member putting together uh, interesting teams to take nanoscience and nanotechnology into addressing problems in other fields. Can you share some highlights of your current research? Yes. So uh, in the scanning probe world, maybe let's start with that. Our ideas have been to add new capabilities in terms of measuring structure, function, and spectra all at the same time. And often in trying to understand the systems we study, tens and hundreds of thousands of times in repetition so that we can understand the intrinsic heterogeneities of function. So my laboratory focus for many years has been looking at the ultimate limits of miniaturization, the smallest switches and motors in the world, where we can go from quantum mechanics to mechanical engineering and experiment theory and simulation. And so we've been able to develop spectroscopies that measure from, well, we say DC to daylight, but really a little further than that. So, you know, uh, at uh, low frequencies, at microwave frequencies, infrared, visible, and ultraviolet, photons going in and out and nonlinearities. And that's enabled us to understand the systems that we study to measure buried bonds, to measure uh, tilts of molecules, an experiment that took us 20 years to figure out how to make work. And then now, in some cases, even being able to get the structures of biomolecules uh, without any averaging. The techniques that are most popular, X-ray diffraction and NMR, either require many molecules or periodicity and thus averaging. 
and some of the key features in biology are the variations with conformation, environment, and so forth. So we're trying to develop new tools for that field based on scanning probes, but also other microscopies. And in that world, we connect with mathematicians. We have two terrific collaborators at UCLA, Andrew Bertozzi and Stan Osher. We've applied ideas from sparsity and compressive sensing to analyzing our images, and we've been able to accelerate these analyses of the structures, for instance, by a factor of 100,000 just in our collaboration. In addition to developing the microscopy tools, we've also developed chemical patterning tools, really adding the chemical dimension to nanolithography. And there we can place individual chemical functionality down to sub-molecular scales, while at the same time, through hybrid methods and hierarchy, control chemical functionality all the way to the wafer scale. And so that turns out to be useful in quite a number of fields because nanoscience and the nanoscale is the scale of function in biology. So since we can control the exposed chemistry, the idea is that we can control or at least sometimes measure uh, biological function. And that's found applications and taken our interests into neuroscience, the microbiome, high-throughput gene editing, and cancer immunotherapy via collaborations with people who bring us problems, and then we address them collaboratively in teams and programs that we set up. Let me go back a little bit to what you were saying about being able to, to look at the structure of molecules and using technique that doesn't require you to, to average over the entire sample. What are some of the applications or implications of being able to do that? So even in very well-defined systems, such as the rigid molecular switches and motors that we study, we find that if we measure the same molecule or the same assembly over and over, we get variations in function. And when I say the same one, I don't mean the same chemically, I mean the very same one. And we know in biology that there are tremendous functional variations in particular biomolecules and biomolecular assemblies. That's tremendously important, right? You don't want your blood to clot if you don't have a cut exposing you know, the blood to the outside world, as an example. But even small conformational variations or the chemical modifications, and there are 100 of those that are known for proteins, affect the function of the biomolecules and biomolecular assemblies. So what we'd like to be able to do is make the association of variations in structure and environment with variations in function in the biological world, where currently there are no methods to look at those variations, even the sort of rapidly rising method cryo-TM still requires several thousand molecules in order to get individual molecular structures. So we want to apply those ideas from mathematics that we've developed to accelerate and make more sensitive the microscopic techniques we use, both in scanning probes, but it also in other microscopies to pull apart the structures of those molecules and assemblies. So you sit at an interesting place with respect to your role as editor of ACS Nano and get to see a really broad range of research and developments that are occurring all over the world. Can you share your perspective on some of the advancements over the past 15 years that really strike you as significant? That's exactly correct. We get to see everything everybody's doing all around the world. As manuscripts are submitted to the journal, I read every single one and then give it to one of our 
expert editors. We have about 30 placed again all around the world. That view of the field has really affected how I do science number one, but it's also, I think, revealed the opportunities for nanoscience and nanotechnology. A few years ago, we were asked by the Office of Science Technology to say, you know, what had happened in the first 10 years of the National Nanotechnology Initiative and what, if funding continued, we would be able to do in the second decade. And we realized that a couple of key features of the field were things that I alluded to earlier and part of what drew us into the field, that there was intrinsic heterogeneity in systems. But another one, and that really came into our heads when we first started to be able to manipulate atoms, was that we are able to make perfect and precise structures. And there are important places that one might want to do that, such as in making contacts in electronics that optimize transmission, band alignment, and other properties. And while you probably don't want to assemble individual atoms to do that, you can put together systems that test the properties of those assemblies and then figure out ways to fabricate them or synthesize them, depending upon the materials in order to make those better systems. Then the other thing that we realized that was a surprise was that the way that nanoscience and nanotechnology had developed was that people from different fields, chemistry, physics, biology, engineering, medicine, environmental health and safety, and other areas all got together and we taught each other our approaches and our problems and we adopted those as a community. And so we realized that it's incumbent upon us to take on those problems. So for instance, the BRAIN initiative in the US was proposed and developed by nanoscientists. When we did that, we brought in people from neuroscience, but also from electrical engineering and informatics and other areas. And we developed a roadmap that laid out the technologies necessary to listen in on a neural circuit, to understand the both chemical and electrical communication between cells, and hopefully eventually to deconvolute what a thought is and what a memory is, and to be able to predict if you stimulate that neural circuit in a certain way, here would be the output. Likewise, for the microbiome initiative, that was led by a team of nanoscientists who brought in people from microbiology sensors, oceanography, atmospheric chemistry, dermatology, gynecology, GI doctors, and so forth to look at what would be required to understand the microbiome systems that are so important to our health and to our world and and also critical in, in many diseases. And so we feel that nanoscience and nanotechnology are acquired isn't the right word, but we have a skill set that is very important to develop and to train into our students, postdocs, colleagues, and so forth to see where it is that we can impact the world beyond the nanoscale. So I want to go back to what you said about interdisciplinarity and, and what you said in your earlier comments when you were talking about some of the work in your lab and why it's important to be able to look at individual molecules. Could you share some examples of interdisciplinary collaboration that have advanced your own work? Sure. So one of the things we like to do in my group, which is made up of people from chemistry, physics, math, engineering, neuroscience, 
uh, oncology, infectious disease, and so forth, is to pose challenges to each other. And so uh, our MDs and MD-PhDs in the group give a regular group meeting, Disease of the Month, in which they coordinate and say, here's something that we saw in our rounds or in a patient, uh, and there's no current solution, but here's something either we could do or here's what we need to be able to do, and I haven't figured out how, but let's see if we can come up with a potential solution. So uh, many of us don't know very much, including me, in biology and medicine, and so the, these trainees have to describe the disease and the particular uh, condition and property uh, to intelligent but ignorant uh, uh, equivalents of patients or parents of patients, and then lay out what it is that we might be able to do. And then people from very disparate fields propose solutions. We argue over those in a friendly way. You have to support what it is you're trying to do and what resources would be required and what the results would be and what we'd learn along the way and what we have to stop doing in order to make that happen. But those are very rich discussions. And intellectually, that expands the you know, my and our group members and our collaborators' ideas of what impact we can have on the world and how what we do can take on important problems. And so we're constantly looking for what would be the most important thing we could do with our time. It turns out that when we start on those projects, we learn a lot along the way. It's, there's a fundamental science side of it, but there's also an application at the end of the road that we hope to be able to address. And so we pick off what is it that's understood and what is it that isn't yet understood and how can we contribute and who do we need to engage in order to make that happen. So we have a very wide team of collaborators and we'll always bring people in if there is some other expertise or capability that we need or need to develop. We take a lot of the inspiration here from the biotechnology revolution, where some tools were known to be needed, such as high-throughput DNA sequencing, high-throughput protein sequencing, high-throughput DNA synthesis, high-throughput protein synthesis. And as those tools were developed, the people who did that, often centered around one of my mentors, Lee Hood, had identified the key problems that they'd want to address first when the tools were in hand. And so I think in nanoscience and nanotechnology, we can do the same thing, that there are many important problems for us to address. We can come up with tools or put together existing tools that can go after those problems. And we can use the expertise that we've built into our field and the additional collaborations with expertise in the problem we're trying to address in order to move our field forward and those other fields forward as well. I want to go back and then I want to go forward. So looking from your perspective where you have played a variety of roles in the NNI as a, a researcher yourself and then as one who has provided input on directions, what is your perspective on the, the impact of the NNI? Well, I think the, the NNI has had tremendous impact in drawing people in from many fields. It was, you know, in some sense, it was easier when it was a very small field and everything we did was completely novel. We'd go in the lab and we'd try something and we wouldn't understand 99% of what we saw. And then we'd try and pick off about 10% of those observations and go after those. And, you know, maybe we'd figure out 10% of the ones we addressed. 
and each one of those would be a big deal. So now it's a it's a much bigger area, and we've gotten many brains from many different parts of science, engineering, and medicine, and and many different parts of the world into this field. And I think the advantage we now have is that diversity of thought and diversity of problems that we're interested in. You know, there are people who come in with such different backgrounds that they'll look at something we do in our lab and say, hey, I can use that. Or they'll look at uh, capabilities that someone has developed and say, well, that doesn't really work, but that's a proof of principle that I could put together something that would take on my problem. I think what we haven't done as well as we should is argue for our field. And so in established communities, for example, chemistry, physics, material science, bioengineering, electrical engineering, there are large international communities. They have regular interactions with decision makers and the public. And we haven't set up some equivalent in nano. That's one reason I appreciate so much what you're doing here is to try to get the word out about how important the existence of this community is. I, I really don't see any other community taking over for what we've been able to do and what we continue to do. And so for me, that's one of the next big steps in nano is how do we alert the people who ultimately support us, the public, and the people who more directly support us in you know, government, industry, and foundations, what it is we're doing and why that's important. So I've tried to put together a series of meetings and articles along those lines, but I hope that you know some of the listeners and you and your office will join in that effort. You've talked about where we've come as a community. Can you look to the future and share your thoughts on where we're headed and what challenges nanoscience might be able to tackle in the future? Yeah, I think the field remains wide open. There, there's been, for me, surprisingly less emphasis on the development of new tools and capabilities than I would expect. If we look back on Human Genome Project, for instance, there was this brute force effort for the first years of that project to get the, you know, nominally entire sequence of the genome of a of a person out. But it was really only in the last three years where Instead of brute force, the work focused on tool development and accelerating the capabilities that we changed how biology and medicine are done. Uh, I don't think we ever met the original goal of opening the book of life, reading it, and curing all diseases. Right? That hasn't happened. On the other hand, what we can now do is say, let's compare the genomes of these thousand species. That isn't a question we could have even asked before. And so likewise in nanoscience, we can open up new worlds by developing new capabilities, by being able to look at more complex systems, some of them biological, some of them electronic, some of them mechanical, some of them you know, in, in other areas. And so what I hope uh, to do is, is encourage uh, people to do that. And I think there is a, a desire. What's been very difficult is how does one support that? Because those are often decades long efforts. And so we'll, uh, we'll see, you know, we'll see how we can, uh, we'll see how we can make that happen. Thank you so much for joining us today, Paul. Do you have any closing thoughts that you would like to share with our listeners? 
Well, I would say for the people in nanoscience and nanotechnology, I hope that you'll look very broadly at what you can do in the world, both at the nanoscale and beyond. And for the people who aren't in nanoscience and nanotechnology, keep an eye on what's happening. It's a very exciting area, and we're going to see great discoveries come out over the next many years. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us today for this special 15-year anniversary edition of Stories from the NNI. If you would like to learn more about nanotechnology, please visit nano.gov or email us at info at nnco.nano.gov and check back here for more stories.